Hello and welcome to episode 132 of What Most People Think and I am back. I, I know some of you saw last week's episode that the, the show blurb and title appeared in what looked like Russian, which given the uh, sort of observations people have made about me looking like Lord Ledvedeb, it didn't look good, but I, I assure everybody I'm in no way enthralled to uh, Russian money. And uh, I just thought I'd start off with a terrible Russian accent there because fresh from his debut on Question Time last week, we've got Konstantin Kissin. Yes, hello. It is a great pleasure to be back. We are both now working for Kremlin. Feels good, <laughs> no? Da? It's good to be back, Jeff. I've been on your sh- I do feel like I'm a Russian in Ukraine. I'm back for the, for the whatever's time. Do you know what I mean? You, you are, you, yeah. I mean, we were talking on the phone the other day and we were laughing about the fact, because there's that, that, that well-known book about race that, that's called Why I'm No, no Longer Talking to White People About yes. Race. And I sort of thought you might be getting to the point where you began, Why I'm No Longer Talking to English People About Ukraine. So before, mm. before you hit that point, <laughs> mm. uh, I, I, I wanted to scratch your brain because when we had a chat, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're very informed on this subject and you've got a lot of, uh, you know, serious skin in the game. So we will uh, get to that. I just want to talk to you about the experience of doing Question Time. How, how did you mm. find it? Yeah, it was good, man. Uh, you know, I, I know that when you do question time, you're always keen to emphasize the, the comedic side of what you do, because that's who you are first and foremost. You're a comedian. But I've obviously, with trigonometry, moved away from, like, we still do comedy and we write comedy mm. things and we do our raw shows, which are more, more comedic. But a lot of it is kind of opinion, commentary, debate, discussion. Uh, so it was kind of a natural thing for me to to do mm. without sounding arrogant like it's you know i go on tv and i talk about things quite often so i really enjoyed it i really wish it was in different circumstances of course yeah um but uh you know actually they'd been talking to me for a few months about me getting me on irrespective of the ukraine situation anyway mm. um so yeah i enjoyed it it was great uh i got to destroy the snp with facts well, and logic i mean that's what i want to enjoy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did some great facial expressions. If anyone wants to see, I think it's on the trigonometry uh, feeds, you know, YouTube or Twitter and stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, is yeah. you you face palming? I think is what the kids would call it. While yeah. the SNP lady was basically using this point in time to remind us that the SNP want to get rid of Trident. Well, she was sent into the meat grinder. I felt so bad for her because I had to destroy her argument. But on the other hand, that is their policy. Mm. And she's been sent on question time in the middle of fucking World War yeah. Three to defend unilateral nuclear disarmament. Like that was not that was not an easy, yeah, that a was a bit one. of a hospital pass. You know what I mean? No, so you I feel do, bad for her. You you do get that sense when you're actually on the panel that the politicians, there's things that they have to say, whereas you, you've got complete freedom. You've got mm. you, not even to lawyers. You haven't even got journalistic mm. responsibilities. You can just talk mm, uh, mm. but you watch the, the the sort of like them being dead behind the eyes as they have to trot out uh, a particular party line and um, yeah of course of course vladimir putin should be the only one that has nuclear weapons i think that's a great idea yeah you go first vlad <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and the other stuff we discussed, you know, I tried to get my points across. I th- I, yeah, I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was good. No, um, no, you looked well, very at home, man. A lot of people said that they appreciated the honesty because, you know, politicians, as you say, are kind of hamstrung mm. by the various things they have to say and the various things they can't say. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was good to be able to just go and 
call it like it is, in my opinion, at that point in time. How did you feel when the music started? Because for a lot of people, I, I spoke to you, you were very composed. Uh, but the one thing that gets some people is that music, because we've been listening to that music a lot yeah. of our lives. When it kicked in, did that give you a little bit of the jitters? It's weird because it wasn't the music and I was not one bit nervous going on a question time. Not one bit. Genuinely, not one bit nervous. And we sat down and the, the thing started and I, and they do that question before that they don't broadcast. Mm. And that was absolutely fine. I felt very relaxed, whatever. And then the program started. And as the first question was being discussed by the other panelists, I remained entirely calm mentally but my body just seized up and I sat there like a fucking mummy just taped into a position. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I had to literally force myself to breathe. I have no idea why that happened. Maybe I just wasn't aware of that physical nerves or whatever, but I no. was literally paralyzed. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Somewhere in your mind, you'll know the jeopardy of being on Question Time, right? So as much as you're experienced commentator and these things, there's another part of you that knows that if, for example, you sneeze and a bit of snot comes out, Constantine, you know, like trigonometry guy in nose puke, right, then becomes a clip forever. Like, So the jeopardy, yeah. your brain knows that, that the people that, that are set against you can take these little things. I mean, to this day, if people want to check, there's a clip of me on YouTube uh, where uh, my, first, my question time debut where for 20 seconds I basically fl- waffled and said fucking nothing. I mean, it, mm. it was poor. But the guy immediately, but this was in, within an hour of it finishing, it was up on YouTube. And it, the the title I think is Jeff Norcott bombs on Question Time, and 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 it was what happened was and, and it, it, this is in the book, but somebody I'd given my first answer and it had gone really well. I got an applause break for my first answer, and I'd literally sat back and gone fucking hello, someone's uh, making a name for themselves, and I was I was congratulating myself, and then this guy posed this question which I didn't fully understand, so I tried to waffle. Uh, and it looks bad, but they, but then you know, five question time appearances later, someone asked me about a subject. I said I don't know enough about that, and mm. I got a round of applause for not waffling. Mm. I think that's a really great thing, actually, is to be able to say in public, "Well, actually, I don't know about this," because you're you're not there to have an opinion on every single thing yeah. as a comedian, particularly. Uh, yeah, man. So, yeah, I totally. I, so You can only like, do it once, though, I would say, if I'd have then gone the yeah. next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine you just sit there all programmed, just going, well, actually, I don't know enough about this. Uh, yeah, like the, you, like the question time equivalent of batting out for the draw. <laughs> He's just yeah, straight exactly. batting it. Yeah, that wouldn't work. So, um, yeah, you, but, you know, obviously this whole thing being focused so much on Russia and Ukraine, it was a subject that I do know a bit about. Uh, so I was able to, to talk about it and be honest as well, you know, uh, about what, what I think. Well, come to that. When I said to my patrons that you were on, in the end, they had so many questions of sort of how we're going to cover that section. If it's okay with you, mm. we're going to take it from yeah. my, my, my VIP patrons, who we'll get to in a second. But uh, thanks to everybody that came to these shows last week. I was on the road a bit. So I did Breaking the News in Scotland, which is a radio panel show there in Glasgow. So that was a lot of fun. And then I got straight on the train to Carlisle and I stayed at the Ibis in Carlisle for two nights. And there was a point, right? You know, like life on the road as a comic, Constantine, and this is probably why you've quite wisely ditched this life, is there was a point where after I went to the Tesco Metro uh, and (laughs) took this yogurt back to my Ibis room and I didn't have a spoon. So I had to fashion a makeshift spoon out of, you know, the UHT milk cartons. Yeah. So I, I I emptied that and then kind of like ripped it a bit. So I had a spoon and I just felt like 
felt like I was fucking Andy Dufresne in Shawshank, just sitting there <laughs> in an ibis in Carlisle. But it would be very easy to slag off Carlisle, but I liked it. I liked the spirit of the people there. Uh, the cinema was just across the road and the show was uh, fantastic. Then the following morning, the Saturday, I got the train from Carlisle to Newcastle because I was doing a show at the stand in Newcastle. Mm. And I would say, like me and my missus, sometimes on the way into London, we have a couple of drinks on the train and we think that we're quite rock and roll. The girl opposite me drunk, drunk six cans of gin and tonic in an hour. As a start, I mean, and it, she wasn't even drunk. And she was saying, oh, I keep, I keep needing to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, honestly, the whole, it was a two-carriage train. And it was like, you remember like club rips back in the noughties where yeah. they used to be out a show like debauchery. It was like that. Just people, like, people just fucking going in a toilet, doing gear. And there was 45-year-old Jeff. I was trying desperately to read the Times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. We were in Newcastle uh, recently as well because one, uh, one of our patrons who also watches you, uh, she invited us up there to watch a, to watch a game at uh, St. James uh, because Everton were playing Newcastle. Oh, I'm yeah. an Everton fan. Uh, and it's, uh, you know what, people up there are absolutely lovely. It is, genuinely. It's one of those true stereotypes, the, the friendliness, but also the spirit as well, the spirit of the place. And and, and I kind of like was reminded, because I've always loved Newcastle as a city, right? But, you know, being a southerner, we do look down on those a bit. And then, then I stayed out mm. in a suburb and I got the tube out there, the, the, the metro. Yeah. And I was such a like typical arrogant sub. I was like, you know, these guys they actually have their own tube network. I mean, they've really <laughs> got electricity. They've got yeah. an airport. Good for them. Good for <laughs> them. And, and the show, I mean, my God, it was a 5 p.m. show at the stand. Uh, it was absolutely mm. full. Fucking crowd were amazing because, as I correctly called it, um, they were able to drink before the show, after the show. Mm and have a curry, and then drink after that. I mean, there's something to be said for uh, a 5pm show. So, and, and yeah, there was quite a few patrons there. Speaking of patrons, you know you know, it is when the, when the payment thing's done at the first of the month. I always mm. lose a few patrons there. I don't know who the fuck I offended last month, guys, but <laughs> so if anybody has, or well, still wishes to be a patron and hasn't heard anything for a, a little while, do check your Patreon account to make sure it's still there because there were some names I saw that were familiar. So evidently Patreon is just, you know, just trying to keep it interesting for me by just bumping mm. people out. So M-E-B-L, my friend John Amos, Nicholas Selms, that's a new name. And that Nicholas Selms, that's a, that's a Tory MP name if ever I heard MEBL, by the way, is almost 100% one of our trigonometry patrons as well and a big fan of, of both shows, I think. So Nicholas Selms, it just sounds like the Tory MP for Rice Lip North. Do you know one of those guys, uh, backbenchers, that says something about burkers, gets himself in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> you reminded me. Do you know the famous anecdote about Nicholas Soames? I think he's uh, Churchill's Damn, grandfather, uh, gra- yeah. grandson. Yeah. Uh, and you know what he looks like? He's a big, yes. big man. Uh, and one of his ex-girlfriends, when asked what it was like to be his girlfriend, said that in the bedroom it felt like a wardrobe falling on top of you with the key still in. <laughs> wow. You think that the insult is good, it's harsh and then the key... <laughs> The wardrobe you can take, the key. <laughs> and we also got David Smith. I think David Smith is another returner, thank God, because there's fuck all funny I can do with that name. And mm. also Ad- Adrian Shaw. So this does suggest that Patreon has booted people out, so do check your accounts. Uh, thank you to the people that upgraded. Uh, the upgraders going VIP. Roy Gilbert, uh, Misty Waters. Who Misty is, Waters. I know. Ooh. I know Jeff, you've got a big stripper audience, haven't you, mate? <laughs> 
M-E-B-O. Misty, Misty Waters. We're sticking with Misty Waters for a second here. That I mean, that does sound like someone who's in the adult entertainment business. Uh, Tim Wright. Tim Wright is upgraded. Thank you, Tim. And Kerif Parvin, who set a challenge for me. To, I, I've probably said his name wrong now, but if I could say his name correctly, that he would upgrade to be a VIP patron. And uh, I Googled it. And he, for some reason, he didn't realise that I could simply Google how to pronounce that name. And so I've got his business. Uh, furthermore, Adrian Shaw, who became a patron, asked me to give a shout out for an organisation called Co- Comedy at Work in Warwickshire. So they're bringing comedy to unusual places. So do check out Google Comedy at Work uh, in Warwickshire. Of course, the patrons keep it weekly and ad-free. But if there are any uh, VIP patrons that have a business, I mean, I can just shout it out if you like. Um, so do give me a message. Or maybe I'll do a couple of those next week. And now, so you remember the cuss, coin, the cuss count? Constantine. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, eventually we did get rid of that. I tried to replace it. I don't even want to talk about what I tried to replace it with. It was universally disliked. <laughs> um, so what we've got is, what we have is a super patron called David Domain. And that's what people really like. They love his name. They love his connection to the podcast. And so we've got this thing now called Domain Talking Point, right? Oh. <laughs> format. i got format. Don't worry about that. Um, so... So this is from last week. It's a way of us, in a way, just picking up on stuff from last week. But uh, he said it was an entertaining episode with Finn Taylor. Uh, clearly, the standout point of the chat was the subject of men's height. Uh, right, just so quickly, what do you think is the average height for a man in the UK, Constantine? And this is, neither of us are fucking giant trees of a man, are we? I'm going to say five, ten, five, ten and a half, something like that. Uh, it was, it's, I think it's five, nine in the UK. Um, but so why am I considered short if I'm that height then? That doesn't well, make any sense. Look, I, I, I advise you and everybody to go back to last week's episode where Finn <laughs> Finn posits his idea is that deep down people think that six foot is a proper height for a man, and even mm. though the average is five nine, that six foot really is is the kind of benchmark. And I, I hate to say he's probably fucking right. Um, but the, David had a quick Google, uh, and it turns out the Dutch. The Dutch have the tallest men in the world, averaging five foot eleven point eight six inches. I mean, it's near as damn it to being six foot. Um, so they have the highest average height. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. And nothing wrong with being five foot ten, as David says. But the moment says nothing wrong with that. You do think, well, clearly there is something wrong with that. Mm. Um, I've, I've met David Domain at a show in Shrewsbury, I think, and, and David himself was a tall man. So there is Domain talking point. I mean, what, do you do you feel? Do you ever sort of long for those? I was going to say those extra two inches. <laughs> <laughs> or does your partner? <laughs> uh obviously um you know uh, where i come from i am actually above average height believe it or not me too mate <laughs> where is that from mitchum <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so yeah i mean I, I i point out to my wife as well is that so if you and i stand on a tube carriage okay and that often because of the low ceiling that gives you a keener idea of people's height mm. i often point out to my wife i say have a look up and down this two tube carriage there's usually no one taller than me but that's just by simple law of averages is that 50 percent of the people are going to be women and you then throw in uh the fact that i'm slightly above average height for a man and so on a tube carriage i look quite tall and she she still doesn't it doesn't change her view of me as not a tall man but it makes her laugh because it's almost always accurate so i'd say mm. that to you when you're with mrs constantine uh, next yeah. time on the tube just say have a look around babe 
Well, see, the thing is as well is like, I, I think from a high perspective, obviously it's a big issue for men and women. It's like, it doesn't really matter what your absolute height is. You just have to be that much taller than your missus. That's what matters. True. That's what you want. That's what she wants. Everybody's happy. You know what I mean? That much taller, that much wealthier. So uh, this week we're going to do a thank you and a fuck that took you. A, that took a strange turn at the end there. <laughs> well, you know, it's in, oh, by the way, happy International Women's Day. As we record, I, 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 for the, I still cling to my male identity, Jeff. Uh, or were you wishing no. it to the to the listeners? We're wishing to listeners and ourselves. Because you just... look straight into the camera. People are listening, but you look straight at me and wished me happy Women's Day. We all, and bene- I was we all benefit from the glory of, of women and what they bring to our our lives. Strong women, you know, all women are strong these days. Um, they're not all strong, let's be honest. You know, some of them have got issues, but but you know, I'm this just is... going to let you talk yourself out on this one. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you. Uh, have you got a thank you? I thought of a little bit of gratitude, something you're grateful for. Well, well, you said you know you can be earnest, and I think uh, you know when I speak to people in Ukraine, one of the things they all say to me is how grateful they are for the British response, the amount of support, but also I think. Uh, just the moral support. I know it's not going to change the situation on the ground. You know, Uncle mm. Vlad isn't going to go, oh, you know, Sandra from Bedford is really upset about this, so I'm ending the invasion. But to a lot of people in Ukraine, the feeling that that they are cared about, that they are supported, mm. that people are not ignoring what's happening does make a big difference. And the British government has been <clears throat> more supportive, I would say, than probably any other in terms of the situation there. So uh, on behalf of people in Ukraine, uh, I think uh, the British public deserve well, that is, a lot of support. Well, I you. mean, that, that is, and this is why it's so important to have objective people, because you and I, we, we had a Twitter exchange yesterday. We both saw the same tweet, which was by Oz Katerj, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but a war correspondent who's currently embedded uh, in Ukraine. And he said... Uh, So he tweeted, as someone who's been a fierce critic of Boris Johnson for a long time, it must be said, as far as Ukrainians I speak to are concerned, he is the best ally Ukraine has. I honestly take no pleasure in reporting this, but it's indisputably true. Come here and ask people yourself. Well, first up, most of the people that tweet aren't going to go. They're not going to be going there, sadly. But but what was interesting was, and I already kind of got, got this kind of impression from a variety of sources, but if you read the replies to this guy, they just don't fucking read it. They go, uh, I'm sorry, Oz, but I have to disagree there. He's no friend to Ukraine. You know, based on the shit that they're consuming off their their iPad. And and he is mm. genuinely not a fan uh, of Boris Johnson. But what, what seems to have happened is, and, and obviously we'll go into the Ukraine thing in more, in more detail in, in a moment, but the fact that Britain has trained Ukrainian troops and, you know, provided assistance in lethal force before anybody else... Some reason that doesn't count as much as towing a yacht. Mm. Why is that? It's odd. Well, we live in this age where it's all about signaling that you've 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 made the right decision. So mm. for the last eight years, nobody knew what our country was doing in Ukraine or how it was helping or anything like that, because we really respond to what's in the news today. We, mm. we don't take a long-term view of things. So the yacht is a symbol, whereas the eight years of support is not a symbol and therefore mm. it can't be put on Twitter with a photograph and a pat on the back for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, as the, you, we've seen the, 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 well, I mean, unsatisfactory doesn't really cover it, but the nature of the UK response to refugees at this point. But what mm. I suspect is 
by the middle of next week or even in four or five days' time, the issues that they've been with sanctioning individuals and refugees will be solved. You know, I do think that that's going to happen. There's emergency legislation coming through. But I suspect that the people will still find another reason why Britain is shit and hasn't done anything and we should all yeah. be ashamed. And I despair. Yeah, I'd also say on your on the refugee point, I think it would be extremely misguided for us in the UK to think that uh, what we need to do is to take in lots of refugees. Because, and I'll explain why. This isn't some kind of right-wing diatribe against saving people who are fleeing war. Mm. Most people who are fleeing Ukraine now will want to return. And the reason is that, you know, for all the evil that's happening there, that country is going to essentially, you know, it's not being invaded by actual Nazis who are there to exterminate the locals population right mm. so they are fleeing this conflict that does not mean that they don't want to come back to ukraine and rebuild their lives when it's over mm. some will not particularly those who feel very strongly about putin's regime and all of that but a lot of people will want to come back because you know this war is going to end at some point probably quite soon uh, and it's not going to run and run and run for years in the way that some other conflicts have uh for for reasons that we cannot don't have to get into. So most of the people just need a place to be for the moment where they're going to be safe and from which they can return back home, right? Mm. And if you remember on Question Time, both Penny Mordaunt, the, the conservative minister, and the Labour guy who I had disagreements with, Peter, I can't remember, he's from Brian, they both worked in Eastern Europe helping refugees and people who are suffering mm. there in various ways. And they both made this very same point. So to beat ourselves up that we on an island very, very far from Ukraine, haven't taken in loads of Ukrainians, is to misunderstand the point entirely. They are going to go to the countries around Ukraine, particularly Poland. And what we should be doing, rather than going, oh, let's bring them all over here, is putting finance and support and charity workers and government agencies mm. and whatever in place in Poland with our taxpayer money and helping people to be safe and comfortable there while they wait for all this horrible shit to end. You see what I, I'm saying? No, I do. I, I think that the, the way politics is now, and this might sound like a satirical point, but I don't think it's that detached from reality, is the numbers game yeah. is so important to people. We might, we might literally be within a week begging Ukrainian refugees, you know, you know what, you know what this Boris administration is like. Is right, yeah. stick a finger in in, in the hole. Uh, let's, 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 enticements. This this is this yeah. is what happens when when discourse is led uh, by social media. I think to most people, I mean, what does seem odd to me actually from the government's point of view is they seem to be ahead of the curve in terms of some countries in in working out what was going to happen, right? Mm. And, and on SWIFT and banking sanctions and stuff like that. But to have not kind of anticipated at least having a system ready for refugees, that does seem a bit culpable. Uh, yeah, look, who knows, man? I, I don't think any government has, has played this particularly well. Uh, the point I'm making is I don't think that, look, there will be a small number of people who are going to be unsafe, even in Poland, for example. Hmm for various reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into. And there will be some people for whom their, their opposition to the regime that's likely to be what ends up in Ukraine is so strong that they would be unsafe to return and they need a permanent place to move to, right? Mm. But they are a small minority. They're not like the Jews fleeing Nazi Germany, where if they stay, they're going to get killed. Most people fleeing Ukraine now are not like that. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So when the war is over, they're not going to be persecuted. They're not going to be put into camps or anything like that. So we need to offer them a temporary place to be safe so that eventually they can return and rebuild their country, which is what most of them want to do. If you speak to people fleeing Ukraine, I've advised several of my family and friends based on some of the things that I know about the military campaign side of this, et cetera, to leave the big cities and to head west if they can, right? And many of them have, but none of them are doing so on the condition that they will find a new place to live. They all want to come back to their home. So they want to stay eventually. close. Yeah, they want to stay. Yeah, close. and they want to come back when it's over. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So, and I think in the West, one of the things that that has happened in recent years is we've got into this idea that you know we are responsible for everything that happens in the world, and if there's a war that breaks out, it's our fault, and we must kind of you know atone for our sins, and that means we've got to, you know, do everything we can. And I do think we should do a lot to help people in Ukraine. Of course I do. And as I say, I have family there. But I think we should do what's best for them as opposed to what makes us feel good. I think you're right. I think that there's also, there is a, there's a section of people that do just want to be, just want to self-flagellate as Brits. And, yeah. and, and I noticed this when there was a graph that was produced about the amount of bank money that had been sanctioned, right? So the graph was... The UK had done a bit more than the US and both had done a lot more than the EU. And I noticed that the response from that was basically, well, that just proves how much dirty money was in London. I go, okay, fine, there may be some truth in that. But essentially what you're saying is there's no good outcome. If Britain had done less than both of those, that would be saying we're hiding money. And so Britain does more than the US, oh, that also means we're hiding money. So so what I wonder is in ter- certainly electorally what happened in the polls, and this happened a bit with COVID as well, is the constant self-flagellation will start to piss people off. Um, they yeah, will see... Well, they will see that the UK is, is doing some things well and some things not well enough, and, and every country is doing that. But for some reason, they'll just go, well, Yacht, yachts. I want more yachts. Very very much on your point, there was a clip of the former Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko. Yes, this Sky News. Which I I retweeted yesterday, where they're like desperate to get him to criticize Boris Johnson. And he's like, actually, I think Boris Johnson is the greatest prime minister in the history of this period. He is good friend to Ukraine, yes. He's good friend to Ukraine. We love him. Thank you, Boris Johnson. And you can see the disappointment, like, in the the reporters. Yeah, he was like, stop, stop fishing, love. Stop fishing. (laughs) (laughs) There's no bite for you today. There was, I mean, the question as she put it, you could actually see, as she asked the question, well, what do people here feel? about mm. Boris Johnson. She could see that he was going to say something positive. And then she sort of added something. Because remember, they, you know, they haven't done mm. stuff on, on, mm. the, on the banks. And I know that, you know, the Sky producers said, oh, well, no, we, we weren't angling. But there, there did seem a sort of thirstiness there for, for a bit more kind of sort of anti-patriotic BDSM. <laughs> yeah, a little Spank bit. me. Britain's yeah. been bad. Oh, to, I, I did say this, actually. I said this uh, on a news quiz the other week, but I don't think it made the edit. But there is, there is a... Uh, in a certain kind of um, metropolitan sectors, if you if you just had a club where somebody put a mask on you and just told you loads of shit things Britain had done, mm. you could charge a lot for that. Just people, you go, could, oh yeah, yeah, remind us, you remind, could charge a lot. remind me. Oh, did we fuck that up as well? And what about mm. what about the Ice Age? Was that was was that because of, <laughs> was that was that because of Britain? Um, I'm just going to do a quick fuck you now, but do you know what? It couldn't feel more tedious and small scale after the the sort of gravitas of what you were just talking Mm -hmm. about. I'm actually ashamed to say these words. The fuck you goes to LNER. 
the rail operators. Let's just bring it right back down just for a while before we get back into the serious stuff. Um, LNER operate the East Coast Main Line. And two two journeys in a row, I've had a train booked and they've slightly rerouted it, but then they've cancelled my journey and sent me some options to book the same journey but for double the money. I mean, at what point does like that's that is pure that's mafia level stuff, Constantine? Where they just I'm, I'm I'm very sorry about your experience, Jeff. I'm sure the people in Ukraine uh, would would empathise. Well, that's what I wondered is is maybe <laughs> if you would do like a GoFundMe for for Jeff, like because I look, let's put a number on it: hundred and fifty-one pounds out of pocket, and you know that's even before you consider the journey that was cancelled before. But they're literally kind of it's like they're just they're just sort of humiliating me. They're going, hey, you know, you know that train journey you had? Yeah, it's not happening anymore. And you, you know what? <laughs> the same train's going, but it's going to be double. Fuck you. <laughs> so LNER, if any of you are listening, fuck you. And will I use you again next time I have to? Yeah. Am I going to go through <laughs> the customer services complaints thing? Probably not. Okay, we have spoke a bit there, so we're just going to do this week's hype before we get back into the Ukraine subject. Uh, new patron, another new patron, Graham Bruce Gardiner, which just sounds like someone being asked who they are and then lying three times. Graham Bruce uh, the Gardiner. Gardiner. <laughs> it's kind of cool, I know, Graham Bruce Gardiner on saxophone but thank you very much for your patronage just a quick hype on this week's tour shows this show will go up on wednesday morning wednesday night i'm in uh wellingborough thursday i'm in bath that one's getting close to selling out uh friday i'm in taunton that is well over 60 70 percent sold now in plymouth there's been a bit of a straggler if you live in plymouth tell me why is it is the theater in a fucking war zone or something i, I mean well, i opened for you in plymouth last year yeah we sold it out was, it was we sold out we had a great time well it turns out that 125 people was all the people in Plymouth that wanted to see me because I've upgraded the venue by three times capacity and I've still sold roughly Ah. 125. (laughs) It's because you're not supporting me, mate. You're too fucking big time. Um, Looking forward past that, we've got Belfast. Belfast has started to move. It can still do with a serious tickle. Belfast. And Belfast, where you, man? What about you? I was on them, actually, BBC Radio Belfast and I tried to use... What did you say? Well, did you say the Sinn Féin is a peaceful political organisation? Most of you nest. I, uh, <laughs> I went the other side. We will not tolerate. Um, I mean, this isn't a way of selling. No, no, no. We, no, Mr. Thatcher, no. And um, this is not a way of selling any tickets, is it, in Belfast? But fuck it. That's the way I approach things. I slag off places. Um, but Belfast, I am excited about that. Always have a great time there. I always end up being fucking hungover at George Best Airport the following day. So I hope that will continue. Uh, the Wirral, the following. Is that what the airport is genuinely called? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. You know this country's relationship with alcohol. We fucking... <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And being hung over there feels incredibly apt. Uh, the following day, I'm in the Wirral, so there's a bit of a travel fun for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, later in the time, I'm in Lincoln. Uh, we got a day at Glasgow, Oren Moore, Spalding. Uh, we got Wimbledon right at the end there. And Melrose, wherever the fuck that is, some fictional place in Scotland. Uh, that day, uh, apologies to the four people that had booked for the original. <laughs> no, there's a few more than that. But that is now going to be moving to the 20th 
of May. Okay, so that's the Melrose Day in Scotland, and for, you know I could probably lay on a minibus for the for the amount of people we had booked for the first day. The thing is, I I, I do this self deprecation, then people come up to me going, "Fuck, is Jeff? Is the tour going all right?" Yes, it's going fine in terms of sales, but I like <laughs> as a comic, you but you never tell people the good the good gig stories, do you, Constantine? You tell them about the ones where you died on your ass. So obviously we spoke a bit already about Ukraine. Um, I told mm. my, my VIP patrons that you were coming on. And first up, there's just so many good wishes to you. And, and frankly, stuff that I don't want to fucking hear about how much they mm. like you. So I've edited all mm. of that out. <laughs> and we have some questions. Um, so one is from Dave Lakeland. He says uh, there are potential deals being banded about, including one, and I think this is what you predicted, where Ukraine gives up the Donbass and gives up on its NATO ambitions, and I think also EU ambitions. Do you see this as a potential success or even a basis to begin serious peace talks? I see that as what's going to happen, and that will happen no matter what carries on. So look, just to give you... The, this. This is a like a three-hour conversation, right? So I can I can't give you necessarily my argumentation and my reasoning. I can just give you the conclusions, right? Uh, which may not be helpful and maybe not convincing, but we just don't have the time to get into you know three hours of th- the history of Ukraine. So, in my opinion, Ukraine is extremely unlikely to win this war. Extremely unlikely. Last week, I didn't. I didn't know that. Last week I was saying, look, the Ukrainians need to fight and get the best possible deal, right? Because this will end at the negotiating table. And they have done that. They, they, they've been courageous. They've been brave. They've fought hard. They've, the Russian military is struggling along. You know, it's taking huge losses. You know, apparently they've lost more men than, than Britain lost in the 20 years in Afghanistan. Right. So so they, they're struggling. But the reality of the situation is the West isn't going to help in a way that will make a difference. The West cannot get involved because that's starting World War Three. OK. Mm-hmm. And the Ukrainians on their own, they're, they're being very brave and they're fighting. But Russia has complete air superiority. And Ukraine does not have what it needs to defend themselves against that. They don't have the planes, they don't have the anti-aircraft systems, and the West probably isn't going to supply those, not least because it takes months at least to train how to fly those planes that they could ship over, right? So it's not going to help. And again, I'm not sure about AA stuff. Maybe they will, but that probably still won't be enough. Kiev is almost enclosed now, the capital. Mm -hmm. So they've enveloped it from the other side, from the Western side. So what's happening now is the noose tightening, and eventually, Ukraine will find itself that its cities are surrounded or taken, and its army is enclosed or captured, or some of them sadly killed. So Russia will win. It's just a question of what casualties will be inflicted on both sides as a result, in my opinion. Now, I'm not an expert, okay? I'm just telling you what I think. Well, as a sort of follow-up question to that, um... Russia, I mean, a lot of people have wondered this. This comes from David Price. He's about whether Russia can reasonably occupy Ukraine after, you know, attacking it in the way that it's had. But was that ever really an objective? Or or is it true to say that they've genuinely misjudged 
the 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 vehement opposition, or, or was this as you you seem to be suspicious last week, always leveraged to get these two outcomes in the Donbass and Crimea? Well, no, the, the major outcome is yes to have Crimea recognised as Russian sovereign territory. And yes, freeing up those two republics and making them independent and eventually, no doubt, integrating them into Russia is part of it. But as I understand it, the main objective that they have is they want to ensure in their minds, I'm not saying this is factually accurate, I'm just saying this is what they believe. They want to ensure that Ukraine can never, ever have any chance of fighting Russia again. They can never try to retake those two regions. Not the Ukraine, in my opinion, I don't think Ukrainians were planning to. Uh, Ukrainians, in my opinion, were building up their military capacity to be able to defend themselves against further Russian aggression. But from the Russian perspective, that didn't look that way. It looked like they were getting ready to, to start pushing back. Right. And so what, what Russia really wants is to, to, to neutralize Ukraine as a threat that it perceived as, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I agree with this way of thinking. I'm just telling you what people over there think. They think we are pushing back the evil capitalist uh, NATO pig dogs back. That's what they think, right? I'm mm. exaggerating, obviously. Pig dog is so, a good phrase. Pig dog. It's a great phrase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so from their perspective, they are pushing NATO out of Ukraine and they're preventing Ukraine from being independently strong enough to challenge Russia and its influence in the region, and and they want a pro-Russian government. When they talk about a neutral Ukraine, what they mean is let's go back to the period where Russia essentially helped to dictate who mm. led Ukraine, and the, yeah, and not part of any blocks. So and the policies that it chose, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what they want, and I think that's what they're going to get uh, because at the end, like I said, in the day. The war will continue until until Ukraine eventually does have to give up. And all that I see is by prolonging the conflict, we're raising the number of casualties. That's all. Will that be seen, though, as a, a kind of appeasement to Putin? I mean, not that the West will have any final say in this. This, You know, the whole point about this is, is a sovereign nation taking a decision in its own best interests. Yeah. So I, I'm sure there will be people who interpret that as appeasement and history may show down the line that it was appeasement. Mm. Right. The difference between the 1930s and now is the nuclear component of all of this. Right. So the, there's no doubt that if NATO continues to withdraw and the West continues to withdraw, Putin will continue to expand. That is the nature of, mm. of things. But if the NATO line ends up being either where it is now or ends up being further east because Western Ukraine splits off and is integrated into the Western world, then that line will be where that process for the moment ends, right? Because mm. to push into actual NATO, Russia would have to start World War Three, and it doesn't want to do that. Well, right? that, I mean, that is to, uh, you know, people that don't want to end up being a sort of nuclear shadow on their kitchen wall, that is of some reassurance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I, one of the narratives I've been warning people against is that there's this idea that Putin is this madman. Mm. And he has been in power for, of, you know, like I said on Question Time, he's been in power since we were worrying about the Millennium Bug. So it's been, a, it's been a long time. And that period in power with the level of authoritarianism that he has, 
and has increased, particularly in recent days. No Facebook, no Twitter, no foreign media, no local critical media. It's become, uh, in terms of the, the propaganda, I've been monitoring Russian news and stuff. Uh, and I'm, please understand when I say this, I'm not suggesting that Putin is Hitler. I'm not suggesting that he wants to kill the Jews or that he has a racial animus. I'm just talking about the level of propaganda, mm. right? How uniform the messaging is, how strong it is, how people are responding to it. It's Goebbels' level of propaganda. It's one message. There is no debate. There is no discussion. It's a three-hour daily program on mainstream television that tells Russians that NATO is about to attack. Ukraine was getting ready to get nuclear weapons. Uh, there was a genocide happening in eastern Ukraine. Ukraine is full of Nazis. You see videos now where POWs, Russian soldiers captured, are, are saying, like, we thought there was a literal Nazi coup here, and yeah, we didn't yeah. find any swastikas, like all of that. So the level of propaganda is very, very high, and people are responding to it. They are, they are accepting that, and they are buying that narrative, right? Yeah. So there is no way for Putin to back down now. He has to win, and that means he will do whatever he needs to do to win. Okay, one of the things is that I, 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 one reflection I have about Vlad, I mean, why, how he's not called Vlad the Mad yet? I mean, that has to be his official name for history. Why we didn't mock him more before, that pisses me off. I think satirists, everyone, we were all focused on Orange Man Bad or mm. Boris's hair. This guy's got away scot free. Except I had a joke about him and uh, no one's laughed at it at all. And I've tried and my wife informed me that it's not funny, basically. But, you know, we had the song uh, Hitler has only got one ball because the other is in the Albert Hall. I thought because Putin clearly has so much Botox, I thought we could get a chunk like uh, Putin has only got one facial expression. <laughs> He's only got one wrinkle. Yeah, he's only got a dad. <laughs> and it's on his balls. See, that's already better. Because uh, the other is on the surgeon's floor. Because it's, it's, see, but I, look, the point is I've tried this in many, many ways and it was only even slightly funny when you, when you punched it up a little bit there. But well, I'm glad we, I'm glad we did that bit though. It's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stain. I mean, this isn't the biggest issue in town, but on Western satirists that we've just totally ignored this man. Even when Crimea mm. was being annexed, even when Salisbury <laughs> was happening, we got bogged down on the internal polit political reaction to it, didn't we? We, you know, it was kind of May versus Corbyn rather than, you know, Britain versus uh, an, an aggressive mm. um, a leader who acts in bad faith. Well, think about this, Jeff. I mean, for all the terrible things that come out of this, the Bond movies are going to be fucking brilliant. I mean, they've the lost their, they've lost their way, haven't they, in recent years? And yeah, now we're finally the they're Russians. back. Yes, Gotta be the Russians. He dies, he dies. The Rocky movies, everything. Great for Rocky. Great for Rocky. I mean, we need. I mean, obviously, I would say to Sylvester Stallone, don't go too early with the speech. But at some point, it's going to be a bit of if I can change. And you can change. Everybody can change. And we all know that, you know, Rocky IV, 1989, 1990, Berlin Wall comes down. You do the math. Um, ben Kelly. Ben Kelly has sent a, a message here. This is slightly sort of related. But has Boris Johnson, as we see, you know, today there are opinion polls that show a massive spike uh, in his approval mm -hmm. ratings, which for one thing says about opinion polls that when people ask about Westminster voting intentions, those move a lot slower. Personal approval rates can go up and down really fast, and I've only just mm. fucking cottoned onto this. But has he essentially created the template for defeating cancel culture? Ride it outside. There'll be another news story along in a minute, and no one really cares about the pylon before. I mean, is he kind of Jimmy Carr in the shit out of this, <laughs> where he's gone, I'm me, 
You lot just fucking need to simmer down. And when you're all done, I'll go back to being me. I would say that that is a great strategy, it would seem, for the absolutely mental world that we live in right now. I'm wondering, mm. like, because we've gone, if you think about the last, what, six, seven, eight years, we've gone from Brexit, mm. right, then Trump, then Brexit continues, mm. the, the 2019 general election, then the Trump not getting reelected, how mental that was on January the 6th. And as soon as we got there, it was like, whew, COVID. Mm. And now fucking World War Three. I mean, it isn't World War Three, but you know what I mean, the yeah, fear yeah, of that yeah. and all of that. So at the moment, there's always going to be something that comes along. I do hope that at least in my lifetime, we will get back to normality where we get, you know, we go back to like, oh, Boris Johnson made this comment. And now we all spend a week talking about it. Do you know I what mean, I mean? Partygate, in a way, was almost a golden era of news because that was when COVID did seem to be in retreat and, you know, booster rollout had had an effect, don't fucking write me a letter. It certainly, it seemed that way to me, all right? Um, and it, that was... <laughs> I just, Jeff, all I'm saying is I just want to go back to like 2013 where there was, you know, there was a spot of terrorism and we all watched it for a bit and then we moved on with our life. A, li- a, light, I mean? a light spot of terrorism. Um, also, celebrities just doing a coke and banging a hooker. I mean, that... Yeah. Now, right. now if Keith we... Keith Vaz, Ren Boys, fantastic. Just Keith- a bit of that. Keith Faz and his rembos. I mean, I was I was talking about this with someone the other day. Was like, do you remember in the mid noughties and mid to late noughties, we were still in Iraq and Afghanistan at that point. But the 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 interest in that came and went, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But there was one whole summer where we focused on Madeleine McCann, like one whole summer every day, front page. Now, obviously, tragic, you know, a child goes missing in those circumstances. But mm. it almost like you know a luxury for a western country to be able to focus in on it on, on a single fucking person i mean i realize the net result of this now is i'm essentially saying oh what i wouldn't give for a madeline mccann story i'm just going back a bit more to um ukraine there's a letter here from uh, chris mcmanus another vip patron says is there any realistic chance of a palace coup do the oligarchs actually have any power or influence over putin and therefore Will the sanctions have any impact or are they just Putin's bitches? Yeah, I wouldn't phrase it quite like that because I, I like to drink my tea without extra additives. But uh, <laughs> the the situation, I think, is that he's in complete control of the country. He has the public on his side. Uh, the oligarchs probably are... The, the oligarchs have been saying this is bad for Russia and this is bad for us. But he's not going to listen to that for the reasons that I explained. He, hmm. he, he is all in on this one and there is no way back for him. He can't come back with a loss here from this because hmm. that undermines his power. He's whipped his country into a frenzy of we're saving Ukraine from Nazis. We're ending genocide. We're kicking out the evil imperialist NATO pig dogs, all of that. Right. He can't back down. He has to Mm. get a win. And so he's not going to give a shit about internal opposition. As for a coup, you've seen those images where he sits at a table on the other end of the building and everyone else is kind of off in the distance where you need like binoculars to be able to really see them properly. So he's obviously concerned. And there have been, from what I'm hearing, attempt on his life. But I don't think it's, you know, I don't think those attempts are going to be succeed. And also, Jeff, this is the other thing that people who who are well-intentioned, I think like Chris, mm. uh, who asked the question they don't think about is, what do you think would happen if he was replaced in a callous coup? Because mm. I say this, with the country now in the position that it's in, 
whipped up into a frenzy. Nazis, Nazis, Nazis. Yeah, 70% you know, approval he, ratings, right? Or higher. Right. So who do you think will come to power if you remove Vladimir Putin? Just a nice little gonna, soy boy. You know, yeah, it's just... not going to be Nick Clegg, mate. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's optimistic at this point. So, yeah. and, you know, I, I hear what the, the point that you made about appeasement and all that. Like, these are difficult conversations mm. to, to have, honestly. But from my perspective, like, we just have to deal with the reality that's on the ground right now. And the reality is Russia is uniting behind Putin. They like what he is doing. And he he needs to win. And the end result is going to have to be in a negotiation where both parties walk away with something they can sell to their domestic audience. Because the reality is that Zelensky may remain in post hmm. at the end of all of this. And he will have to sell to the Ukrainian people whatever settlement they end up reaching. Yeah. It'll also have a Channel 4 show probably that he's got to come over and make. No, Judging <laughs> by the way that the West has... Uh, <laughs> Channel Four did buy the rights to his his, his old show, didn't they? They're gonna they're gonna air it. Really? Yeah, yeah. they they have done that. And he, he, I mean, the way that he has been, I mean, he is inspirational. You know, he has shown mm. a fortitude mm. that a lot of Western yeah. leaders you suspect. Let's be honest, Boris Johnson ain't fucking staying in harm's way, is he? Keir Starmer, mm. I, I I don't I don't know. The Lib Dem guy, who cares? Let's say Lib Dem leader's been taken out. He go, I didn't know. I, I don't know with Boris. I, I think it depends. If you had some nice young ladies around him in that space, you might stay. Yeah, the party bunker, maybe if it had like yeah, one. the party one of... bunker, that's it. <laughs> the, uh, there's a couple of questions that I feel um, were sort of covered with other ones, but thank you to Mark Rogers uh, and Russ Palmer. And just to sort of end this section, not not on a, a, a light-hearted note as such, because obviously these are grave things that are happening, but on the subject of Zelensky, uh, Richard in Sheffield uh, says, what's your opinion as a comedian with political leanings and potential to follow in the president's, the footsteps of President Zelensky. Do you ever think about politics, Constantine? Do you ever? I do with great horror and complete rejection. Uh, I think you, you've got to be mental as a comedian to go into politics personally. Yeah. Now, it's different in his case. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just talking about me uh, and mutual friends of ours had considered running for various parties in the past. And whenever they've asked my opinion, I've just said, are you mental? Yeah. Are you absolutely fucking mental? Uh, first of all, as a comedian, we we go around the country saying things like the ones we've been saying on the podcast today. Now my heart bleeds for Ukraine. I have family in Ukraine. Mm. I am deeply, uh, deeply disgusted and disappointed and ashamed of what Russia is doing. Right. But our job as comics or as people who comment on this with a comedic hue is to make light of things that we can make light of. Right. But what you and I have done today, if that was to be put out as our legitimate opinions, mm. right that would be enough to destroy your political career on its own. You know, they were joking about Bond movies as Ukraine burned, Yeah. right? And that isn't even the worst thing that I've ever said. Like, do you know what I mean? In comedy, like, I, especially when I did my show in Edinburgh in 2019, I was exploring the issue of free speech and I was crossing some lines deliberately to make jokes hmm. and, and to push boundaries, right, comedically. <laughs> But if you take that literally and write it down, which is, of course, what every newspaper would do, yeah, I'd be crucified. Uh, and so just from the perspective of someone who spent a career of, of some length saying things that you don't mean in a society and a culture which refuses to understand humor, irony, sarcasm, nuance, 
you know, completely. We don't live in a culture where you get any allowance for that, right? So, so we live in a world where, like, I don't think if you've ever if you've ever done comedy and you've tried to do it well and you've tried to push boundaries, etc. I don't think that's a good idea in the climate that we live in at all. You will be destroyed. And also, I personally feel like with trigonometry, if I want to have some sort of impact on on our culture, on the on the discussions we're having on the world, hmm. I may be already in a more powerful position than the backbench Labour MP for you know Brighton or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Just quickly. Um... John Burko, he was found guilty, and I'm just saying, it, look, I don't, I'm not taking any pleasure in this fact, but John Alter, Alter, <laughs> I definitely haven't got my eye on a post-political chat show career. Alter, he was done for 21 counts of bullying, and, and I, I don't know about you, Constantine, this is a massive shock to me. Massively shocked. He Jeff. hit I didn't it well. It. I no. mean, God, I mean, I mean, I know he was acting like a pompous bully, but I just thought that was just for the cameras. I thought, oh, well, you know, when he gets back into his office, I bet he's like a really top bloke. And the fact that his face is a permanent shade of crimson, that's always a sign of somebody that's really good to be around, isn't it? Jeff, well, I'll, I'll throw a bone uh, to, to various people. First of all, you and I as average or above average height men Definitely. are exempt from this, clearly, yeah. right? And I'll even throw a, bomb, uh, a bone to the feminists here. And I will say that all of the problems of the world are caused by short men. This was exactly what we were saying last week. Five foot seven. And do you know what? Yeah. Boris Johnson, five foot seven. Keir Starmer, five foot seven. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon. Vladimir Putin apparently is considerably shorter than me. The woman who I was on question time with who'd interviewed him twice, Bridget, uh, I can't remember, Bridget Kendall, I think her name is. Hmm. Uh, could, don't quote me on that. She said he's like, he's down, he's up to my shoulder. Did you see you know, that uh, did that, that um, video footage of him doing a press conference, but surrounded by attractive stu- air stewardesses? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just... mate. I tell you, there's a lot of perks to being president of Russia, man. I mean, there's a lot of attractive women there. I'd imagine Russian air stewardesses compare well. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. And so, like, he's got okay. They 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 attack me. They mock me. They ground my aircraft. I take every air stewardess. Welcome to party bunker, Russian style. That brings me on to our one letter for the week before I let you go. Um, is quite simple as we're sort of talking about that James Bond life. Who would win in a fight, Vladimir Putin or James Bond? Mm. I mean, all right, let's let's take it the the age that James Bond is is roughly. I mean, can he fight Putin? Do you think, like in his in his heyday, will we have to pitch him against? He's a martial artist. Oh, is he? Yeah, but he, then... he's he has some kind of belt in judo, I think. But, you know, or the Kim Jong family, they're good at stuff, aren't they? North Korea have mm. never lost a football game. Do you know? Do you see what I'm getting at? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could say, you know, I am great judo artist. Although he did go, I did, there was actual footage of him on the ice hockey pitch. Do you remember that famous thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He at- scored about 73, 73 goals, surprisingly. I mean, he must be a great player. Yeah, yeah, it did, it did certainly feel that in that match there there wasn't as much shoulder charging into the perspective. No, and the barriers. goalkeeper kept diving the wrong way. But, you know, it happens. The you goalkeeper know, dived just... the wrong way. The other team were half of them had been poisoned with polonium. But other than that, it was a fair fight. <laughs> yeah, look, they were just, you know, they couldn't handle the banter. Listen, Constantine, thanks so much. I know that everybody's asking you to talk about this moment, but I know and I hope that the, the What Most People Think audience will, will take, you know, will really appreciate you giving uh, your take on it. And as someone, you know, with family in Ukraine, so many people ask me to pass on wishes to to that family and stuff. So, uh, well, inter- Jeff, 
let me just say it's very kind of them and of you. Thank you for, for that. I really appreciate it. And I also hope, I just wanted to say I hope as well. Like, I understand that some of the comments that I've made about the situation there today are not necessarily what people want to hear because we are in this place of, like, we must support Ukraine. And, and I do support Ukraine. I do. We raised over forty thousand pounds in an hour and a half on trigonometry that will go to humanitarian. Is that is that still open? Can people still contribute to that? Uh, uh, the 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 that is closed. But I there's the Red Cross appeal and there's all sorts of other organisations. There's yeah, plenty of of places that people can can send money to. So I am I'm not. I, this isn't about like uh, you know letting Russia walk all over Ukraine. I just see the reality, which is we're not going to help them enough to stand up for themselves. And all I want to do is protect innocent life in that country. You know, mm. that's that's been my focus. So I hope that people can hear the comments that I've made today in that vein. If I was on the ground in Ukraine and this was my home being invaded, I'd be all for continuing to fight. Mm. I'd be all for defending. Do you see what I'm saying? I just think that we here in the West need to have a slightly different perspective and look at what can we actually do to protect innocent life and to protect people. And that's where I'm trying to come at it from. And I know that some of the, the sort of raw honesty about it may be uncomfortable for people, uh, but I just want people to understand that that's the position I'm approaching it from. Well, look, you're, you're a pragmatist and a realist, and, uh, you know, we appreciate that on, on this show. And uh, obviously, as ever, you know, check out the Red Cross, as Constantine says. Keep an eye on, on trigonometry output because, you know, they're constantly adding to this debate. And uh, thank you very much for being on this week's show, Constantine. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it, mate. What most people think.